What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. I'm Andrew Ivins, joined as always by David Lake. It's Central Michigan week. That means on today's show, we're going to take a quick look at the Chippewas, but also hit on a number of topics related to the team after Miami rolled Bethune-Cookman 63-0 in week three. David, before we get started, it appears that Manny Diaz and his staff didn't listen to our last show. Uh, as Diaz were told reporters on Tuesday that Zach McLeod will not be redshirting. Disappointing, yes or no? Yeah, I mean, I get both sides to it. I mean, I think clearly they feel like he's an important player for this team, uh, specifically on special teams with all the snaps he plays there. Uh, I think we alluded to it last week. If it was me or you, we would probably have redshirted him this year and, and you know, Look for him to be the senior leading linebacker for the 2020 defense. But as Manny said, he's just too valuable for what we want, what we need this year. And, and you know, I get that too. So And also maybe Zach doesn't want a red shirt. I don't know. So a lot of, there's a lot of uh, talking points surrounding that. Uh, Zach McLeod, should he red shirt or not? And I think you can make a case either way. So, yeah, I mean, it is in- interesting roster management type stuff. Uh, it's just, I mean, it's funny. I think, what, did he play 11 or 12 snaps against Bethune-Cookman? Or, or what was yeah. the number? I mean, it wasn't that 12. high. It's like, if there was a game to get him a bunch of tape, wasn't that it? Yeah, I mean, sure. I mean, look, I disagree with it. But at the same time, I mean, their special teams, I think Manny does value special teams. I think we're we're learning that as the season progresses, he really thinks that's an important area, an important phase of the game. So, and and Zach's a key player in that phase. So, you know, clearly they, they don't mind using his eligibility to up this year. Well, we'll get into special teams a little bit later in uh, this podcast. I first want to kind of start off with, uh, we've talked about it here at length, but now that we're three games into the season, Jaron Williams doing some special things. Uh, I got to give credit here where it's due. According to Tim Reynolds of the Associated Press, Jaron Williams has thrown six touchdown passes and zero interceptions this season and has a 73.9% completion percentage. Only other QBs with that in uh, FBS are Jalen Hurts and Tua Tagovailoa. Pretty impressive, is it not? He is. He's he's been very, very good. you know, we dove in. I wrote an article earlier this week on on Inside the U, where we kind of dove into the deep into his uh, advanced stats, so to speak, for the season. And he is elite when he has plenty of time to throw. When when he doesn't have pressure, according to Pro Football Focus, he's completing eighty percent of his passes, which you know you would maybe expect those type of numbers when if he doesn't have pressure. But really, those numbers are unique. Um, you know. Andrew, we see a bunch of seven-on-seven tournaments at the high school level, and there's obviously no pass rush then. And most of those elite-level quarterbacks in seven-on aren't completing 80% of their throws. Um, so I think that's some interesting context to think about. And and also, he's he's clearly most comfortable throwing to the middle of the field. I think 83% of his throws this year have been between the numbers or to the middle of the field. And... Uh, no, sorry, 75% of his number throws are, are in that area, and he's completing 83% of those throws. So he definitely has some strengths. 
I think we can talk about too what is the next step for Jaron here. You know, maybe we see it against Central Michigan. I guess what do you feel like he does need to show this week against Central Michigan? Because this is an opponent where he can kind of work on some things and look to take steps in areas where he feels like he needs to still improve. I guess it's for me, it's probably the deep ball. I, I go back to that deep pass to uh, Mark Pope or against Bethune. If he hits Pope in stride, that's probably a touchdown. But you wrote it. Uh, it was either Sunday or Monday. I mean, the first two games, Jaron only attempted five pass attempts over 20 yards. And then against uh, the Wildcats, he threw it six times over 20 yards. So it seems like they yeah. are trying to stretch the field a little bit more. I'm just hoping he can uh, connect on those. I do want to break up another point that you talked to, we talked about earlier this week. I, I thought the, the the few drives or that sequence of drives in between the, the second quarter and the third quarter were pretty impressive when he scored relatively quickly, squeezing that ball in there to KJ Osborne, and then he led them down the field to open up uh, the third quarter. I thought that was probably his, some of his best football we've seen from him. And I, I know it's 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 Bethune Cookman. It's not a great opponent, but I mean, still, it's it's like he was putting the balls in all the right places. Yeah, I mean that. I mean, it was what like a thirty-second touchdown drive right before halftime, where they snuck another touchdown uh, before the break with two twenty-yard shots to KJ Osborne uh, for the touchdown. Yeah, I mean. I don't care who the opponent is w- with those types of throws in that situation because it was big-time stuff. Um, you know, anytime you can com- complete 20-yard throws through the air like that, it's impressive no matter who the competition is. They got a touchdown. It was a perfectly executed passing situation by Jaron. And look, yeah, the opponent isn't great, but that's good for the confidence. And I think... It is important for Jaron to know he can make those types of throws at this level um, because, look, defenses are going to get more tape on him, and they're going to look to take away some of these middle intermediate throws that he is having so much success on lately. So he is going to have to show the ability to to hit those deeper passes. Let me ask you this. Uh, all right, because I, I, I did look this up because I was wondering, what do you think the streak uh, or how many – how many consecutive passes has a as a Miami quarterback thrown without throwing an interception? What do you think that number is, and who do you think did it? Oof. I mean, <laughs> may, maybe I would guess Dorsey. Yeah, it's Dorsey. He did a hundred and he threw one hundred ninety three straight passes. Okay. Without an interception, because I was wondering where Jaron was at. He's at ninety three pass attempts right now without throwing an interception. You add the three from the Savannah State game. Last year, so he's got 97 to go uh, to tie that record. Not sure he's going to do that, but at the yeah. end of the day, I mean, he hasn't really put that many balls where I'm like, oof, that was a bad one. Honestly, yeah. Look, it's never good to throw an interception, um, but I don't like if he's if he throws an interception while trying to make an aggressive throw that you know makes sense. I'm okay with it, to be honest, because I think, to me, that's kind of, that needs to be his next step. Like, his next step needs to be, like, okay, I'm willing to try this aggressive throw. And that's a line you got to straddle as a quarterback. Like, you got to understand when to take those shots and when not to. And I think if he makes a good decision, tries an aggressive throw, and it ends up getting picked off, 
I'm okay with it. It's just it's those type of interceptions that you were alluding to where it's like, man, what are you doing? That's a terrible decision or man, your accuracy was just way off with that throw. Those interceptions are troubling. So, yes, the interception stat is important, but I don't think it, you know, if he throws a pick, it's not an indication that he's not playing well, I guess is what I'm saying. Do you think um his high completion percentage and the fact that he hasn't stretched the field is Dan Enos trying to uh, break him in, or is this more of him? He's just he just doesn't want the ball over. I, I guess is he the one that's yeah. checking down or making these safe throws, or do you think Dan Enos is asking him to do that? I think it's Enos. I think well, I think Enos is building an attack that suits his strengths. And look, his strengths are those intermediate and short throws. He's very accurate. His, to me, from what I've seen of, of Jaron previous to his starts this season, he doesn't have the strongest arm. You know what I mean? So right. that's just not something he does well. It's something he's going to have to work on and improve. Um, but yeah, I think mainly, I think mainly why it is um, a passing system that's, mainly working the middle of the field and, and the intermediate game is number one, they're implementing some read option or even some RPO options uh, where linebackers get sucked in and Jaron's just hitting the open receivers behind the linebackers. I mean, they're, it's kind of easy pitch and catch situations, which is all designed by Dan Enos. And, you know, look, like we said, Jaron is extremely accurate in the intermediate throws. And so I, I think, to an extent, it is smart to keep pounding those those throws as long as they're working. Now, like we like we know, like Bud Foster in, in a few weeks, he's going to try and take away those throws. So it'll be interesting to see what Miami's counterpunch is for those type of defensive looks. Uh, speaking of Dan Enos, let's kind of shift gears towards Central Michigan. I've seen uh, some chatter, some fodder on the message boards. Are you buying into Dan Enos is going to try to run it up on the Chippewas, his his former employer, or do you think that's a fabricated storyline and he really doesn't care? Because I, that's the opinion I'm under. I mean, I think there is somewhat of a competitive nature there. And do I think he wants to run it up? No, but I think he wants to beat him good, if that makes sense. So maybe I'm not going to go that far with it but i do think look i do think of course he's a competitor and he wants to show him up to some extent <laughs> well let's talk about central michigan so they uh will arrive at hard rock stadium on saturday um they're two and one just won their mac open opener excuse me over akron a lot of people are going to recognize that head coach over on the other side and sideline it's jim McElwain, the the former head man at uh the University of Florida. David, what can you tell me about the Chippewas? Because I have done not a lot of research on them. What do I need to know? Or what do our listeners need to know? Yeah, so I'll ramble for a little bit. So first let's, of all, let's ramble. Central Michigan last year was 1-11. And their only win was against, I think, FCS opponent Maine. So they were one of the worst teams in, in all of FBS, if not the worst. Um, so yeah, Mac, they hired Jim McElwain this, uh, this offseason. And, you know, look, he's he's put together a nice system on offense. Uh, the personnel on both sides, it, it, there's definitely holes. I guess I'll start with the quarterback. So the quarterback is David Moore. 
he is a backup because they lost their starting quarterback, Quentin Dormady, to a injury where he's going to be out for maybe a month, maybe six weeks. He was he Dormady used to be at Tennessee, um, so he does have some talent, but he's injured. So David Moore got the start this past week against Akron. He's a guy who originally signed with Memphis and went JUCO, and now he's ended up at Central Michigan. So he's a guy, he's a type of quarterback that he's, he, from watching him against Akron, he seems like a gamer, seems like a guy, he's not the most talented guy, uh, but he has a lot of moxie. He will run to buy time. He's not necessarily a dual threat because he is a smaller, like I think he's listed at 180 pounds. So he doesn't want to take a lot of hits in the run game, but he will buy time and he does a good job of, of finding open receivers. His Top two receivers are Khalil Pimpleton, who's a slot guy. He's a smaller guy who is a Virginia Tech transfer, so he does have some talent. He's a quick guy in space um, that they look to get the ball to a lot. He threw a 20-yard or so pass off a jet sweep this past week, so he's a threat that way too. And then the other top receiver is a tight end, Tony Poljan. He's a six foot seven, two hundred fifty five pound guy who's who's obviously big. He's a former quarterback at Central Michigan. I think he started some games last year, um, but he is a he is an impressive tight end, especially at the Group of Five level. To me, he is a borderline pro. Uh, you know, he's he's a plus athlete for his size, and to me, he's a guy who will probably get a chance to make a roster with an NFL training camp. When that, when that situation comes for his career, and then their running back Kobe Lewis, he's a he's also a backup because their starting running back got hurt and isn't expected to play against Miami. But he's still a, a fairly talented running back. He's more of a undersized, quick guy in space. That's also kind of a threat in the passing game. Uh, so yeah, that's offense. Do you have any questions about their offense before <laughs> I go to defense? Oh well, no, I mean let's. I guess. Something we should keep an eye on Saturday. You mentioned that tight end. Uh, I, I don't. I'm assuming Miami's probably going to rest Romeo Finley, which means mm-hmm. that Gilbert Frierson will be the guy in coverage here. Uh, is that is that going to be one of these key matchups to watch? I would assume. I mean, we don't know for a fact that Romeo is going to rest, but he's been. He missed Tuesday's practice. Supposedly, he was out there running around on Wednesday. If it were me, I would rest him. But yeah, I mean, look, for both those receivers, you got Pimpleton in the slot. The striker position has to cover slot on first down. And Tony Poljan, the tight end. Obviously, the striker position is instituted to cover the tight end in those situations, too. So if Romeo is rested this week, yeah, Gilbert Frierson is definitely going to have to step up. Uh, and have a decent game. So that'll be something to watch for from the Miami perspective. Or they move uh, Trajan there into the slot and, and bring one of these freshman corners into the game. Or I, right. I guess Ivy or or, or right. Blades get all three of those guys on the field. But You I could think, see more of that. I think to yeah. Amari, I would throw Amari out there on a tight end every now and then too. You know, yeah. if Robert Knowles is going to play more as the as the deep safety with, with Gervin. Before we get to defense, what do you think about Robert Knowles kind of coming in at safety? I know... We had mentioned it, or we didn't mention it on the podcast, but had kind of caught wind, then he started. What did you think of him on the back end of that defense? I think he's played well. Um, 
you know, I think the main reason why he's playing is because it is a new group in the secondary. A lot of new faces. They're still kind of getting their feet under them. And so the communication at times isn't where the Miami coaches would like it to be. And so Robert Knowles is a fifth-year senior, a guy who knows the defense inside and out, knows how to communicate what the secondary should be doing from play to play. And, you know, that is valuable. Uh, so I think, and look, he, he really, in, in previous years, he has missed tackles or he's been out of position in coverage. And that has not been the case this year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, if he keeps playing as a guy who is dependable and as a guy who can get the rest of the secondary on the same page, I'm all for it. Uh, but if he is a guy who can't finish on a play and it ends up turning into a big play, then, yeah, that the Robert Knowles playing time probably needs to, you know, reduce. So we'll see. I mean, if he keeps playing like he played – uh, against Bethune and even against North Carolina too, he's going to keep starting and keep playing a lot of snaps. Should be noted, Miami's coverage defense. I looked this up, uh, graded out right now, or I should say, ranks 53 out of 64 Power Five teams according to Pro Football Focus. So that unit has had a significant drop off uh, since losing the two safeties, Sheldrick Redwine and Jaquan Johnson uh, and Michael Jackson. I mean, that's kind of expected, but. I thought that was pretty low, seeing as how they just shut out Bethune-Cookman. Yeah, I mean, and look, like I said, Robert Knowles is is hopefully a guy that can solidify things a little bit. I think it'll be interesting to see how they incorporate Bubba Bolden when the Virginia Tech game rolls around. How, you know, what move do they make there? Because I think Bubba has a chance to be the guy at safety for Miami. How quickly do they make that move, though? I think it'll be interesting. All right, give it to me on Central Michigan's defense. What, what do they do, and, and what are we going to see uh, 4 p.m. Uh, at Hard Rock Stadium? Yeah, so the, the thing that stands out to me about Central Michigan's defense is they, they do multiple fronts, so they'll show three down linemen and four down linemen fronts uh, just to switch things up and, and kind of give the offenses different looks. Uh, the thing that stands out to me about – so to me, the, the strength of their – Defense is their defensive line. Um, you know, it's still a group of five level defensive line. But with that being said, I, I do think it is a talented group of five defensive line. They, they're they led by their defensive end, Sean Adesanya. I think I'm saying that right. Who is, a, is another transfer. He came in from Illinois. He played there. He played for Central Michigan last year, but he, he originally signed with Illinois and he's a guy who's kind of an athletic stand-up edge rusher that has a very good get-off. Uh, he even picked off a pass. He dropped back into coverage last week against Akron, picked off a pass, ran it down inside the five-yard line. It looked very athletic. I'm also impressed by their defensive tackles, Tico Brown and Jaquez Bristol. Just two guys, you know, not the biggest defensive tackles, but they're very active. They get... They have a good get-off as well, and they get some good push every now and then uh, for a group of five defensive tackle. And then I think you know, maybe their best player in the back seven is Troy Brown, who's a linebacker. slash he, He's more of like their version of the striker. So last year he played safety, and this year they, with Jim McElwain taking over, they moved him back, to, back up to linebacker. 
And he's a guy who definitely flashes athleticism at the linebacker spot. Uh, he's kind of like their top tackling guy who can run sideline to sideline and also cover a little bit uh, for a linebacker. So, you know, I think the strength of, of Central Michigan's defense is up front. Uh, it's still a front that Miami should be able to handle. Um, I'm not overly impressed with their secondary at all. Uh, we can get more into that later, but I think so. Central Michigan has shown on tape thus far that they're going to play a lot of man to man coverage, and uh, Wisconsin ate that up. Uh, I would. I would expect them, honestly, to show some wrinkles to Miami. I would be surprised if they play as much man coverage as we've seen this year, just because Miami's receivers, like if Central Michigan plays a lot of man, Miami's receivers should blow by them. So, uh, that yeah, that's basically what I got on Central Michigan's defense. <laughs> well, it's, it's probably as good a breakdown as anyone's going to get. Um, Let's shift to what we want to see out of the Hurricanes this upcoming Saturday. Last week in the big storyline, I think me and you both said, is we wanted to see Mark Pope get involved. Mark Pope got involved. We wanted to see Sam Brooks get some reps. Sam Brooks got some reps. What do you kind of want to see uh, against uh, Central Michigan? For me, I think they just got to keep building on that offense. I think if I'm fine with them leaving that starting unit into well into the third quarter. I mean, these guys need get, need to get reps. They seem to be getting better with each rep, and you got to get that offensive line to gel. So for me, I, I think it's just kind of keep that that pedal on the metal, get those receivers involved. Like you said, if, if Central Michigan is going to be playing a lot of man, there's absolutely no reason why uh, Jeff Thomas and, and a Mike Harley can't, can't have big games and, and K.J. Osborne and then even D. Wiggins and Brian Hightower. I mean, I, I probably yeah. suspect Pope will be out. Uh, but for me, just keep that pedal uh, on the metal. And if you can get some youth in on that on defense, then then do it again. I think it's going to be pretty similar to what we saw against Bethune-Cookman. I agree. I think that's definitely one of the things you want to look for. Also, just for Jaron Williams and continuing to gain confidence in those deep shots. So if Central Michigan does play a lot of man, as they've shown, I want to see some deep shot connections happen during the course of the game. I think... Another thing I want to see more of is, you know, a lot's kind of been made of the lack of sack production. Um, and yeah, it's not where it's been. There's no doubt about that. Um, so this week, I'd like to see particularly the defensive line, you know, not blitzes where the linebackers or safeties are getting sacks. I want to see the defensive line get some sacks this week. John Garvin, Scott Patchen, Greg Rousseau, John Ford. I'd like to see them get some sacks this week. I think that'd be good going into the bye. Um, and, you know, what about, what, go what, ahead. what about Trayvon Hill? Trayvon Hill. Yeah. I mean, where, no, where they got to get they got to get him going. And, you know, look, the next game after Central Michigan, you would think is a game is a big game for Trevon Hill. And so if he showed because Virginia Tech, obviously, Trevon Hill comes from Virginia Tech for those that aren't aware. So. You would think if Trevon Hill wants to play a lot against Virginia Tech, he's going to have to show out this week against Central Michigan to earn those snaps, so to speak. So, yeah, he's he's a he's a key guy to watch in my mind, too. I, I think, just feel like I mean, we talked about it on, on, on the Five Rings podcast. I just feel like he's someone who hasn't, I don't know, it just hasn't come from yet, right? 
he flashes every now and then, but to me, like his main thing is consistency. Like, and the thing I've noticed mostly with him is the setting the edge is an area he needs to be better at and more consistent with in terms of just effort, just getting it done. Um, and I think, you know, obviously that's a big deal with Manny Diaz. He wants that in his defensive ends. Uh, so yeah, I think if he shows that progress, we'll see more of him flashing, rushing the passer for sure. Any other guys you think Miami needs to get in the game or you would like to see more of maybe someone who played a handful of snaps kind of a, against Bethune Cookman that you think is worthy of more snaps. I think one guy maybe for me would be Jason Blissett. Uh, I think he only played like it was like 10. I would like yeah. to see a little bit more than him because I just don't know if they're going to be able to get him in other games uh, at different points in the season. That's a good one. Um, I think I would go with, for some reason, the guy, I feel like I bring him up a lot, but the guy that pops to me is Will Mallory, just getting him going. Like, yeah, I'd like to see the production there because he he is talented. We heard so much about him during camp, how he was making plays and all the scrimmages. I just think it'd be good to, you know, get him going on some crossing routes. Like in the spring, we saw him used on crossing routes so much. And I feel like we haven't seen that much this season. Um, so, yeah, he'd be a guy who I think, you know, last week we saw them feed Mark Pope, Brian Hightower, D. Wiggins, the ball. Maybe this week. It'd be nice to see we Will Mallory get fed some passes. That's a good one because I, I don't even think he had. Did he have a catch or target in that Bethune mm. game? I don't. I don't know so. about target. I don't remember a catch. Um, one other thing what, I want to bring up about this week's game that I think is interesting is how it could be. You know, granted, each game is its own entity, but within that point. I do think you could maybe use this game as a measuring stick of sorts um, when comparing the final score and the performance uh, with the Central Michigan game against Wisconsin. So Wisconsin is currently the number 13 team in the country. They look really strong right now. They look like, you know, one of the better teams in the Big Ten. They pounded Central Michigan 61-0. to Um uh, is Miami going to put up that type of score? We'll see. I think if they do, that could be a very encouraging sign for Miami. But again, like I said, each game is its own entity and things right. things happen differently from game to game. But I think you would hope that Miami could be able to dominate in a similar fashion to the way Wisconsin did against them in week two. Well, devil advocate don't want to play it here but uh how did Miami's past two results go against Wisconsin <laughs> right no I think that's fair look I don't think I don't think Miami is as good as Wisconsin this year but can they be close yeah we'll it's, it's a measuring stick this is a measuring stick game right yeah that's all I'm saying like you know I think you could look at the final score this weekend and compare it to the Wisconsin game and, and jump to your own conclusions I guess one area we should definitely discuss, uh, special teams. I know we touched on it in our instant reaction podcast following the Bethune-Cookman game after Bubba Baxa missed another field goal. I think he's now four of eight on the season, 50%, uh, which ranks pretty low. I wrote about it on Monday or, or Wednesday. David, is it time for Miami to make a change now that we're the dust is a little settled? I, I profiled on InsideTheU.com. 
the other place kicker option that Miami has. It's Camden Price, a walk-on um, from Maryland. He's a preferred walk-on. He's, he's a redshirt freshman. He actually attempted the final two point after attempts in that, in that Bethune-Cookman win, converted both of them. I reached out to his kicking coach. He seems to think he's a pretty accurate kicker. Um, are, are we getting to that point where they change it or, or what? I think we're getting close. Um, I would still let Bubba try and figure things out against Central Michigan, and I would even let him attempt some field goals against Virginia Tech. Now, if he starts missing against Virginia Tech, like the first miss, if it's within 40 yards and he misses it against Virginia Tech, I think you got to go a different direction. Um, But, yeah, I mean, tell me about Camden. I guess what... What did the kicking coach tell you about him? Like, uh, what are maybe his strengths or what does he feel like he does well? And how does he compare to Bubba? Well, it's Brandon Cornblue. And I don't want to say if the need, need is, the, is the kicking coach. And I don't want to say you, you should take everything with a grain of salt. But these guys, these industry specialists are, are always high on their guys. I mean, you're never going to get one sure. of them on the phone and they're, and they're going to say anything bad. But he did tell me uh, that he felt like Camden was probably a uh, FBS guy, he, like a guy who would have signed with an FBS school coming out of high school, but his kickoffs just weren't all that, that strong. And I think that comes down to leg strength, but he thinks he's a very accurate kicker. I think Brandon Cornblue had him ranked uh, 13th in his rankings uh, for the 2018 class. What's interesting to note is the number 15 kicker in those rankings, Chris Dunn, set the NC State single season record last year as a freshman with 21 field goals made. So Cornblue saying price is better than that kid, which I thought was yeah. pretty interesting. Um, I don't know. You you texted me and brought this up. When was the point last year when Miami kind of moved away um, from Zach Fiegels? Remember, he had all those bad punts. They gave Jack Spicer a run. Kind of kind of alternated those guys. And I think it was the Florida State game, which was about the midway point in the season. And now we know it's completely different staffs. Jonathan Patkey's now running the special teams. Todd Hartley's now at Georgia. Um, but that's something to, to monitor. I mean, I think they're going to keep riding with Baxa, but I think we could get pretty – I think we're probably two or three misses away from them trying something different. Yeah, I mean, we keep saying it, but, like, these ACC games, once they get here, they're going to be tight. All of them are going to be close games, and those three points are going to be crucial. So, yeah, I think he is going to be on a short leash, and he should be. So if he starts missing against Virginia Tech or Virginia, I think if you're Manny Diaz, you have to you have to give Camden Price a try and see what he can bring to the table. As it seems like he would be a field goal specialist, and Baxa would still handle kickoffs. Correct? Yeah, yeah. And what what you could do is, and we've seen college teams do this in the past. I mean, Camden could could be your guy from ten to right. 35 yards and then Baxa takes the long ones I, I don't see why not try something like that yeah I mean it seems like Baxa struggles from the left hash as well am I wrong and I will say the other thing uh Corn Blue told me and I don't know if this was he was settling trying to hit him but he kept saying that Camden gets the ball very high in the air and in the past it seems like right. Baxa's balls have always been on a low trajectory and that's resulted in a few blocked attempts I mean at least one this season Right. I think that I think he is telling you something with that because Manny has also mentioned that I think the North Carolina game, he felt like both those kicks were just too low. Um, The ones that got blocked or tipped or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, 
you know, talking about kickers, I'm kind of exhausted about it, to be honest. But until they play better, it's de- it's definitely going to be a huge talking point for this team. Absolutely. I mean, you keep hitting it. ACC plays around the schedule. It's going to come down to some kicks. I mean, it always has, no matter how much more talented Miami is than the other team. I mean, go back to that 2018 season. There was a lot of uh, close games that were decided by field goals. I mean, the Virginia or the excuse me, the Georgia Tech game. I mean, it's it's going to catch up with Miami. It already has caught up with Miami, but it's yeah, it's going to it's going to keep up again. Um I know this is another talking point that you probably don't want to talk about, but it seems like every uh, podcast I do, every radio appearance, we're, we're talking about these new Miami recruiting protocols that, that Manny Diaz has put in place. And I don't think we're going to go really deep dive on that. Uh, we wrote about it, uh, what we're hearing these new protocols are for Miami um, that Manny's put in. I mean, basically, they're telling kids, take all the visits you want. But once we get to that that senior season of high school, you better be ready to shut things down. I guess, David, just since we're, you know, it's, it's Central Michigan week and we can talk a little recruiting, which kids do you think in this in this 2020 class does Miami need to to really keep in the boat? All right, you know, right now they got 23 kids committed, early signing periods about three months away. So just an initial glance at that commitment yeah. list, who do you think are guys that they need to keep just based on what we've seen on the field this season uh, and knowing where there's some holes in, in that roster? Right, so I'll just give four easy ones, to be honest. Um, obviously, running back Don Chaney, he's their best commit. He's their highest-rated commit. He's a borderline five-star type. He, to me, like, you know, I've been doing this for 10-plus years now, so I've seen a lot of uh, NFL-caliber running backs at the high school level come out of Dade County. To me, he is a guy that fits that mold, Uh He's a home run hitter, got the speed, and he's a 210-pound back in college, probably. So he's a big deal. I would then go to Jaden Francois, ball-hawking safety, who had a ton of picks as a junior. I think it was 12. Uh, Yeah, Miami-Dade County record. Those type of playmakers, I mean, you can't let them leave. And Ohio State's interested in there. there. So to me, he's probably the, the best guy that you really got to watch moving forward this season in terms of actually having a chance to flip. Then the other two, I think they're fairly solid unless you can correct me, but chance Williams defensive end from Jacksonville area. And then his teammate offensive lineman, uh, Jalen rivers. I think they're two very talented guys on the line of scrimmage, which is an area Miami needs to recruit. Well, obviously. Um, so yeah, but again, I think, I think Chance and Jalen are fairly solid in their pledges to Miami, so I don't know how much there is to worry about there. I guess who would be maybe some of the uh, lesser-ranked guys that you feel like Miami needs to hold on? Well, I would start with uh, just Jalen Rivers. Just a quick note with him. I think it's getting to the point now where it's pretty clear that Miami's going to need to hold on to him. Isaiah Walker... Uh, the local offensive tackle for Miami Norland High School. I crystal balled him to Florida earlier this week. It seems like the Gators are, are the team to beat there, and that one's just kind of trending in the other direction. I don't think the recruitment is over. I'm just saying right now it, it all of it kind of it suggests that it's that Florida's the team to beat. So um, I don't know if Miami, where the, the rest of the offensive line board kind of will fall, where the dominoes will fall. So I think holding on to him's important. One guy I think they really need to uh, 
hold on to in, in addition to what you said uh, about Jaden Francois is Darren Branch, the safety out of uh, Louisiana. You know, when Miami initially took his his commitment, it was like, yeah, we, we kind of see him as a striker. Then they got him on campus for that Miami Knights thing in July. And uh, I was told by a staffer, he's like, well, you know what? Actually, this kid might be able to play some cornerback for us. I mean, he's 6'1", 168, just had a game. Uh, he texted me his, his game this past week. He had like 13 tackles, an interception, a fumble recovery. Yeah. Um, so he's a guy who can make plays. I just think they need to hold on to him. And then uh, we've talked about him in the past, Romello Height, uh, the defensive end out of Georgia. We think he's an SEC-type guy, had a shoulder injury his junior year, so not a lot of schools really knew who he was. Miami, in my opinion, has just got to keep those two uh, yeah. Uh, committed. Yeah, and Darren Branch, we've seen him at a 7-on-7 tournament, uh, what was it, like March, April or so? And he was playing corner, he's playing safety, so... I know when he originally committed, everyone thought striker, but to me, he's a safety or corner. And like you cor- correct me if I'm wrong, but how do you feel like his athleticism and size compares to 2019 signee Christian Williams? Is he similar? Because you know they expect Williams to be a good corner for them down the road. I mean, I think, he's longer. He's longer, and right. I would argue he's he might be even twitchier. I, I don't know. I was, yeah. I I just I like if I was to sit here and rank Miami's commits one through 23. I think Darren Branch is probably really close to that top five. Yeah, I mean, no, I, I agree. Just, I, I really liked him when I saw him. Yeah, and just kind of given how how bad the years uh, is at cornerback, specifically down here. I mean, I had, I had a, a assistant coach uh, at a, a Power 5 school text me, hey, do you know any cornerbacks down here in South Florida um, that are getting overlooked? I'm like, dude, it is so dry, like... If there was, yeah. everyone would be all over him. I mean, it's just a bad year. Uh, so I, I think Miami kind of got a good commitment pretty early, and they got fortunate that Blake Baker knew who he was. Who would you say? So I I tagged Jaden Francois as the guy Miami fans should watch in terms of, you know, he's a guy who might look around and see other options. Is there any others? Like, I mean, Darren Branch and Romello Height are kind of in SEC country. Are they circling them at all? Like, are, are SEC programs on them, or what is the situation there? I mean, I don't think they are yet. I mean, we've I've I wrote this or, or brought it up. I think last uh, two weeks ago. I mean, Romello Height's name has shown up on a visitors list at, at Auburn or Florida, so that means someone is saying that they think he's eventually going to be. Or, or someone in his campus said that they're going to be on campus. So I think uh, he's definitely one to watch, but he's saying all the right things. My big concern with him is he's already taken his official visit. So how do you keep getting him back down here on his own dime to get that much-needed face time? Um, right. And how do you fend off those other schools? So that That's one. Um, Darren Branch, same thing. You know, He's saying all the right things. LSU hasn't offered. I don't think they're ever – it doesn't seem like they're going to offer. So uh, Miami should be pretty good there. Still having an official visit to use with him, which I think is is absolutely huge. Um, just kind of scrolling through his commit list. I mean, Marcus Fleming, Florida State is a school that he's he said he's he's wanted to visit. He he claims Georgia's in there. Uh, we'll see. Uh, he's a, he's another one. But besides that, man, I I think this list is is pretty pretty dang yeah. solid. I think uh, Miami's done a good job of finding guys that want to be uh, committed. 
Um, they just need to go and and find some some dudes to round this thing out. I'm not trying to stir the pot or anything or, or or imply anything, but would you be surprised if Don Cheney goes and visits, say, a Georgia or a Florida? And should Miami be concerned or Miami fans be concerned about that if it happens? You know, you know, I've kind of gone back and forth about this in my head, and then I was talking to his dad of uh, like last month. And his dad brought up a good point. He, he said he's not going to tell Don he can't visit anywhere, but he, he looked at me and said, you know, Don plays at, at, uh, at, at Belen Jesuit. He's had plenty of opportunities to leave and go to other schools in the Miami-Dade area, other schools that are probably good and will contend for state titles. And yeah. Don's remained, remained loyal to Belen Jesuit. And I think that just kind of apl- applies to his college commitment. I mean, he keeps talking about how Miami's his team. Now, I do think there are other schools that are, are going to try to lure him onto campus, but I think if he visits somewhere, we don't even know it, until it's already happened, if that makes sense. But right, right. now, I, I think he's pretty solid. I don't think there should be that much concern, but um, if the losses were to pile up, I think that gives other schools more ammo. But, you know, right now, I, I mean, he's the guy in this class. Uh, Miami didn't take a running back last cycle so I, he will be the dude and he has to like what he saw at a dj dallas and, and just kind of how they've they've run that ball yeah they're definitely a running the ball and you would assume he likes it but yeah i mean it boils down to winning and i mean that goes for the entire class like if miami doesn't get enough wins then everyone's gonna be up for grabs or looking around and you can't blame them no one wants to come to a program that they can't win at a high level uh, I wanted to put you on the spot here. Did you get a chance to see of any of, of Tyler Van Dyke's that, that footage from his first game? I did not. I haven't checked oh. it out. How'd he look? Oh. Yeah, so Tyler, I think he was about 15. Uh, he threw about 15 passes, two touchdowns, uh, ran for a touchdown as well, and about two and a half quarters of play. I thought his, his tape, if you guys have a chance, uh, I, I linked it on our message board through the smoke. Uh, but if you also can go to his huddle account, you can find it. I, he made some some throws that were on a rope. It's very easy to see why um, Dan Enos wants them. And the only reason I'm bringing this up because they start football in Connecticut way later than anyone else. And this was actually his first game of the season. So I thought that was impressive. Another kid I, I texted you about is I love in the 2021 class, Jacoby George. I think his tape from what he's put on tape, um, put on film, I should say, the past four games is very impressive. He just debuted in um, 24-7 sports, his rankings as, as a as a mid to high three-star. I think he's a guy who can eventually challenge for a fourth star. Yeah, I mean, Tyler, you know, I saw him at Paradise Camp, and he's definitely, like, to me, he is the perfect quarterback for the Dan Enos system. I think he's going to execute what Dan Enos asks of him, and... I think he has the skill set to make all the throws. So he's going to end up being a very nice quarterback take for the Hurricanes. And, you know, with the way Jaron Williams is playing, Tyler Van Dyke will redshirt a year, get to develop a couple years under Dan Enos. And I think it's going to be a good thing because a big key to success of, you know, winning at a high level as a football program is making sure that quarterback position is taken care of. And, I think you should. I think Miami fans should be feel good about what they have coming in with Tyler Van Dyke. All right, let's start wrapping this things up. Let's uh, circle back to 
uh, the game Saturday against Central Michigan. Score, David, I know you're going to write one, uh, I think maybe yeah. on, on Friday or Saturday. What do, what do you kind of see or what, what are you expecting? Uh, so I'll go, I'll go 45-13. I think, uh, you know, this, this Central Michigan team, not a good team. Um, and they're not as cl- they're not even as good of a MAC team as we saw like the last two years with Toledo. They're just simply not on that level. Um, and yeah, they're not as good as even like Appalachian State from the 2016 season. So for this game, I'm going 45-13. I'm going 45-10. The same thing, just because I. Uh... You know, I think there there's a chance they could score some more points, but I have zero faith in the kicking department right now. So uh, I, I'm just going with with the touchdown route. I, it's the same thing for me. I also think Manny's kind of wanting to make a statement a little bit. I think he knows that they need to win these games in commanding fashion. So uh, I expect them to try to preserve shutouts or uh, just make statements, if that makes sense. I and I think when guys like Nikosi Perry get in the game. I mean, they want to make plays and like, there's no, there's no yeah. real calling off the dogs or anything like that. No, I agree. I agree. And look, if you look at like last year's, the last couple of years games against Toledo, uh, Miami scored 40 something points against them. Toledo got more points than the 13 that we're projecting. So, you know, I think, I think, I guess the spread is what? 29 and a half right now. Is that yeah, right? That- yeah, as of Thursday morning, the spread's 29 and a half, and the total's at 48. My best bet would be on the over. I think there's a good yeah. chance Miami's going to score, and you know, you give up a touchdown here to Central Michigan. I, I think the over is definitely the play. I think the over is a good play, and I, I would also, I like Miami with the point, like covering the spread too, you know? Yeah. So, well, well, I think if it drops down to, to 28, you know, that, that would be a, a yes. that's a key number, so why not? Yeah, I agree. Any other ones you like this week? <sighs> you know, my my local book just really screwed me. You know, they didn't post that UCF <laughs> line until it was like 13. It opened on Sunday at like 10. Uh, no, I mean, that's that's kind of one. I think that Georgia will probably handle Notre Dame pretty well, but I'm not I'm not confident. I haven't done my research yet. I'll just say that. Let me get one just off. I'm I'm not betting, but uh one one number that kind of jumped out at me is Tennessee fourteen point underdog against Florida this week. What are your thoughts there? I don't know. I you know, I've had this conversation. I know this is completely off topic, but everyone's talking about how Kyle Trask did against Kentucky. I think sometimes it's easier for a kid to just come in a game and be yeah. like, go instead of having to prepare all week for it. So I'm very interested to see how he does when it's he, going through all the media and everything like that. I just, it's always interesting to see how that goes. Yeah. And honestly, like everyone, I think the hot take this week is, Oh, Florida's offense is going to be better without Felipe. I'm not sure that's going to be the case. I don't know. And look, Tennessee's terrible, but I just think they're going to get up for this game. 14 points is a lot. I think we've seen Florida plays to the level of their competition. I don't know. I, I, if I was a betting man, I would probably take those 14 points. And another one that intrigues me, Andrew, is I think I saw North Carolina is only like a three-point favorite over yeah. Appalachian State. What's going on there? 
I don't know. Vegas must something know something we don't know. I mean, if the line it looks weird, then I'm just staying away from it. It just look right. <laughs> I know. I I mean, yeah. I I think that's. I would take UNC all day. I don't know. Well, guys, that's probably going to do it for, I should say, that is going to do it for today's show. David, what should we fans look forward to over the next days uh, on the site? Or what are you going to have up and what yeah. are you going to have up after that game? Yeah, yeah. So we'll have, you know, the typical learn more about Central Michigan. I'll talk more about the matchups and just, you know, try and educate you about what to expect from the Chippewas and what Miami should do to exploit the, the various matchups against them and then, you know, we'll head into the bye. I'm sure we'll have to hammer a lot of recruiting content here over the next 10 days too, right, Andrew? Yeah, bye week coaches are going to be up on the road Friday, and then I think they're going to go out and get pretty national next week. Ooh, little little Jake Garcia visit? Little yeah, maybe. Cali quarterback? Maybe, but yeah, maybe next week we'll go full uh, recruiting podcast. Or maybe I'm ready. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll do something. Yeah, we'll do something different. Coach me up. All right, guys, that's gonna wrap it. <laughs> that's gonna wrap it up. You guys can check out our work at miami.247sports.com. Until next time. Take care.